0: hear these words from 2nd Kings chapter 2 verses 7 through 14. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both uh, standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan He took the mantle of Elijah and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Elijah. When he had struck the water, the water was parted from one side to the other, and Elisha went over. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Pray with me. Holy One, we ask you to bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts as we turn to you at this time. Amen. This is the last week of our Building Blocks series where we have used the images of the quilts and looked back at the mentors who have helped shaped us on the first week when we looked at Paul and how he poured into Timothy. Then we looked at Moses passing the mantle to Joshua and how he was sent into a place that he had no idea what he was facing. And then last week, Pastor Sharla guided us through this understanding of Jesus being the thread woven through the Great Commission. And today we explore what happens when our leader is gone through the lens of Elijah and Elisha, and how we go on adding to and honoring what we have learned from them. I would say the hardest part of the sermon today is distinguishing Elijah and Elisha, so you're going to have to really pay attention to what I say. This biblical text is usually read on Transfiguration Sunday. That's the Sunday when we celebrate the text where Jesus went onto the mountaintop and he encountered Elijah and Moses on the top of the mountain. If you remember that text, Jesus comes down and he is glowing and his face is sparkling white from this transfiguration that happens on the mountain. We might think that this text is about this prophet, Elijah, that Jesus encounters on that mountain. We heard today that Elijah parted the waters of the River Jordan, just like Moses had parted the waters of the Reed Sea. And so it may seem that it's about this incredible prophet that Jesus encounters, but really, Our biblical text for today is about Elisha, who is transformed beyond his role as the apprentice to the bearer of the mantle of leadership in the community. God transfers the power, the spiritual leadership, and then we witness in the text this faithful response in the face of the unknown mixed with grief by Elisha. He calls out in grief and in the sense of vulnerability of his loss of his teacher and mentor. But then he takes up the mantle and he literally strikes the water and then he too parts the water like Elijah and Moses have done before him. I don't want you to forget that there were 50 other people there members of the community who witness this transfer of power. There's a community that's gathered in this transition of leadership, and they have to make the decision, are they going to follow Elisha now? I want us to focus for a moment on this section of the text when Elijah says to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. And Elisha says, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. In the certainty of his end, Elijah offers this gift to the one who he has mentored. What may I do for you before I am taken? What a beautiful gift. I started thinking about the people in my life who mentored me, and if I had a chance for one more conversation, what would I ask for? Elisha asked for a double portion of spirit it made me think about my grandparents because I was raised in the same hometown with parents and grandparents. It was like having two sets of parents always telling me what to do and keeping an eye out for me. And we all sat together in the same fourth row at church every Sunday. But you see, when I started to thinking about what would I ask them, I realized That in any situation that I face, I know exactly how they would respond. I hear their voices in my head today. I have often quoted them. If you're around me for very long, you've heard me quote one of my grandparents pretty regularly. This wisdom that I quote is a reflection of the depth of our relationship. So when I think about Elisha moving forward without his mentor, I have to think, being the apprentice, he probably knows pretty well what Elijah would do in any situation. Yet they are gifted differently. They are different types of leaders. And Elijah lives into the political role that Elijah has already laid a path for. But Elijah was passionate about injustice and fighting against idolatry, where Elisha is probably best well known for the miracles that he performed for people in their everyday lives and the work that he did surrounded by war. Biblical professor Dennis Tucker Jr. puts it this way, perhaps Elisha, now sees that his task is not one of holding on, but of carrying on. And biblical professor Will Gaffney, she puts it like this. Underneath all of the supernatural occurrence is a narrative about the continuity of the community after a transition of leadership, particularly after a great and incomparable leader. So how do we carry on the continuity of community without the leaders, the squares and our quilt that we have identified, the mentors and people who have poured into us? How do we carry on? That is a question for us today as well. How do we carry on the continuity of community in ways we have never considered? how do we hold on to our family of faith when it is unsafe to hold on and be gathered together how do we become the kingdom of god here on earth when all we have ever done is in person ministry with each other how do we become a bolder stronger community in the midst of a pandemic friends We have to trust what we have learned from our mentors and the leaders of our past. And like Elisha, move into a new reality. Like Joshua, who faced something that he had no idea what he was doing, and he had to be brave. We are being asked to be faithful in new and different ways trying to find ways to build each other up that is different than any way we have faced before. When my cousin Sean was 39 years old, she was diagnosed with breast cancer for the second time. I was in seminary and I needed someone as my pastoral care case study. And so I chose her and we spent a lot of time talking and thinking and exploring her place in the midst of that cancer. I had no idea when I started that that I would lose her that year and that she would die because 39-year-olds don't often die of breast cancer. They get better and we celebrate them. But during Christmas we found out that the cancer had spread to her lungs and her brain and that It wouldn't be long before she would be gone. When I practiced this, I did not cry. (laughs) It's so much harder for some reason in person with you listening and knowing my heart. I was facing a world without my companion, my closest female cousin only six months younger than me, who had literally lived on the same block and we had cartwheeled back and forth between our homes. In this last month of her life, she moved into the role of mentor. Even though I was the older cousin, the oldest cousin, and had always sort of felt like I was in charge of all the others, that knowing it was the end, moved her into that place where she wanted to make sure that she was very clear about things that were important. And so I wanted to share her wisdom with you today. The first thing that she said over and over again in that last month of her life was, bring joy. And she wanted me to make everyone laugh at her funeral. She gave me very clear instructions. It was a lot of pressure to try to figure out how to take a hundreds of people who were grieving this loss and make them laugh. But she felt like in the midst of our grief and the healing of our community, the only way to do that was to seek and bring joy, that that laughter would help us heal with each other. The second thing she said over and over and over again was, Stop talking. People would come to the hospital. There's this endless number of people who would come to the hospital wanting to say goodbye to her and talk to her. And these are the things that she said to all of them. Stop talking so much. She said we spend entirely too much time telling God what we want and need and hope for. And we should spend more time listening to God. To letting God lead in biblical terms, we would call this Sabbath, right? Where we spend time in quiet and peace, seeking God's assurance and hope. I would even go so far as to say that maybe we should try this in our closest relationships, that we talk so much and we listen so little. I have done, I don't know how many weddings, tens of weddings, and Every couple I meet with, I ask them to practice listening and then clarifying and repeating. And so the first couple of sessions we do it, when they have to listen to what the other one said, and then I'll say, now, what did you hear? And they repeat it back. It's really hard, and they're not very good at it. But by the third week, they're like, okay, Heather, I figured this out. (laughs) And they're pretty good at it. How much better would our relationships be if we all spent time listening and clarifying and asking questions instead of talking all the time? And the last thing she said was, get back to church, which, you know, hundreds of people in the sanctuary of a church that have come to a funeral, they didn't really want to hear get back to church, but she wanted to make sure that I said that because, you see, At the end of her life, she regretted that she hadn't been more active, that her faith wasn't deeper, that she hadn't spent more time working on the kingdom of God here on earth. At the end of life, she knew what was important. I find that her wisdom at the end of her life is good wisdom for where we are today. You see, we can choose to spend our time fighting and complaining and wish, wishing for what used to be or what we have lost, or we can choose joy in the midst of this and find things to celebrate. We can laugh in the face of our grief, and we can build each other up instead of tearing each other down. This helps us heal and begins our path to wholeness. We can spend more time listening for God's gentle leading and discern where do we find peace and Sabbath? What do we do in our daily lives that helps us lean into God's voice? And if we aren't doing anything, how do we add that to our schedule? And we can choose to be intentional about building up the kingdom of God and strengthening our faith even when it is hard to do so. Why? Because it is important. It is necessary. God is still working in the world and we are invited to be part of it. That hasn't changed in a world of uncertainty when so many things have. And maybe it is never going to be like it was before but then we don't want to miss the incredible things that God is doing because we are always looking backward. We must take what we know from those who have led us so far and step out in faith, knowing that God is leading just like Elisha did. I want to end with a reflection from biblical um, scholar Dennis Tucker. He writes, the reader may be enamored with the trappings of the story for good reason, yet the thrust of the story is not about what happened to Elijah, but what happens to the prophetic voice of God carried through Elisha. The story suggests that the prophetic office does not end with death or even ascension, or transfiguration. But it is available for all who choose to carry on the tradition. In some sense, every community of faith stands opposite Jericho with a mantle before it. Occasionally, in rare moments, those who have glimpsed upward and seen the whirlwind of God Are compelled to bend down and pick up that mantle, believing that now is the moment for them to strike the waters. The voice of the prophet is rare indeed these days, and not because all prophets have ascended into heaven, but because few choose to see the whirlwind of God, and fewer still choose to live as though it has changed us. Let me say that last line again. The voice of the prophet is rare indeed these days, not because all the prophets have ascended into heaven, because few of us choose not to see the whirlwind, and even fewer choose to live as though it has changed us. We are invited to make a choice just like those 50 who gathered around the transition that happened right before their eyes between Elijah and Elisha. Do we choose to ignore what God is revealing in the whirlwind before us and look back complaining about what we have lost? Or do we pick up that mantle and strike those waters, stepping out as people of faith with the unknown possibility before us?